following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
disciples, led by Jesus, are on their way to Jerusalem, and they're afraid. As they walk toward Jerusalem, they come to the city of Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him. They told him, be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped, and he said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet. He came to Jesus. Do you see him? He has to be guided to Jesus. He can't see Jesus. But he's thrown off his cloak, probably the most valuable possession he had. All he wanted was to get to Jesus. He wanted nothing to weigh him down or to hinder him. He just wanted to get to Jesus. He knew this was his one chance. He had heard, probably, stories about Jesus' mighty healing power. And I wonder how many times as he sat beside that road in Jericho, wishing he could find his way to Jesus. But today, Jesus is passing him by. He will not be shut up. And Jesus says to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Does Jesus still heal the sick today? Will Jesus still answer the cry of a blind man? Will Jesus still respond when he's passing by? I answer to all of that, yes, absolutely. Yes, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus has not changed. But I tell you, I don't find one in ten Christians who know how to pray the prayer of faith and receive the answer that their heart cries out for. Today, we're going to talk about the prayer of faith, how it operates. 
and what the necessities are. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm very grateful that you've tuned in. I believe today could be, if you will listen carefully and obey, an utterly life-changing day. But you're going to have to stop listening to all the naysayers. You're going to have to turn away from all of the lies of the devil. And you're going to have to cry out to Jesus until he answers. He's not going to answer with a little, now I lay me down to sleep kind of childish. You're going to have to pray the prayer of faith. There's a story I want to share with you. And some of you have written to me and they've, and you have said to me, Pastor, please don't read any more stories. Just take the scriptures and teach the scriptures. Well, I want to tell you, forget your pride. Humble your heart. Jesus taught with parables and stories. If you can catch this story today, it will change your life if you can catch it. So listen. Have ears that hear. If you need to have your prayers answered, you must pray in faith. But you won't know what that means because it's not taught today in the church unless you see a living example of that, and then we'll talk about it. Katie lived in a wretched home where both the father and the mother drank hard, using up all their money they could get for alcohol. The whole family lived in utter filth. When I got clothes for her, and put her into a Sunday school, and in the day school, I looked after her very closely. As little Katie had never been in school, we started her in the kindergarten. This was such a sweet, tiny crowd to look upon, and I would slip in many times just to see them in their small red chairs. The one telling the story is, Guy Bevington, the revivalist. Katie would take home the little things they were taught to make, and she would repeat the songs and blessings at the dinner table, which her parents found very amusing. Her father is told what a time Katie would have in getting him and her mother and the older sister and a brother all quiet while she would ask the blessing. Oftentimes they would be drunk, and she would have difficulty in getting them to fold their hands. They thought it quite cute and would always allow her to ask the blessing. By and by, it got hold of them. And before long, both parents were found crying for mercy 
at the altar. God had a great time in getting them both saved from their awful habits of such long standing, but he did. I was able to get them a job out at Ivorydale in the Procter & Gamble soap factory where the famous ivory soap is made. And then some two years seemed to just slip by. One day I was visiting the poor. I found a family with four little children who had nothing in the house to eat. I started up to Merce Bakery, where I could get bread baked the day before for two loaves for a nickel. I had just 20 cents and planned to get a soup soup bone and, and some potatoes to go with it, with the two loaves of bread I would bring them. As I was walking up toward the bakery, a voice said, Go out to Katie's. I well remembered Katie, but I was concentrating then on going after something for those four hungry children. It would take my 20 cents to get out to Ivorydale and back from Katie's, so I felt I couldn't go. I kept on toward Mirth's Bakery. But the voice kept ringing in my ears. Go out to Katie's. Go out to Katie's. I stopped and went through my pockets to see if I could find any more money. I had not another cent. So I kept going on after the food for the four hungry children. Then the voice said, Will you or will you not go out to Katie's? I stopped suddenly as if paralyzed and began trembling, something I seldom do. I said, Lord, I will go. I looked up and saw an Ivorydale car coming, so I got on and went out to their house. When I arrived, I stepped onto the porch and knocked on the door. I heard a faint sob, and a faint voice said, Come in. When I stepped inside, I saw Katie back in the corner caring for the baby. She smiled with trembling lips and said, Oh, Mama, here is Brother Bevington. I saw at once that Katie had been crying as her eyes were all red. I stepped up to her, laid my hand on her head, and said, What is the trouble with my Katie? She'd grown so much in two years. Then her mother came in and gave me a hearty handshake and said, I'm so glad you minded God and came. I've been praying for 24 hours for him to send you. Sit down here and I'll tell you why Katie's been crying so much. See that house over there? She asked, pointing out the window. Yes. And that path going from our house to the fence? Yes. Those people are quite well off and have lots of money. They have a boy about Katie's age, a nice boy named Edward. He has plenty of money to spend, so he bought a croquette set and set it up in the orchard under the trees in the shade. When she's not in school, Katie takes the baby over there, and she and Edward play croquette. Night before last, 
they were playing when Edward's mama called him to go to the grocery store. Katie waited for him, and when he returned, they resumed their play. Then his mother called again. I'm sorry, but I forgot something. Edward, you have to go again. So off he went, as every boy should when his mama calls. He was gone longer than usual, so Katie came back to assist me in getting supper on the table. Edward finally came back and gathered up the set. When he counted the balls, he found one ball missing. He counted them over again to be sure. One ball was definitely gone. Now, children, listen how Satan will always be right on hand to get little ones into trouble. He said to Edward, Katie stole your ball. She was the only one who was out there. Yes, said Edward to himself. She surely must have taken it, and I'm going to tell on her. So he ran into his house, and he called out, I ain't going to have Katie Brown come over here anymore. Why, Edward, what's wrong with Katie? asked his mother. She stole one of my croquette balls. You know better than that. No, I know she did. And then he ran over to the Browns' house, and he said, I ain't going to have Katie come over anymore. Why? She stole one of my balls. No, no, said Katie's mother. Yes, she did. No one else was there. And now one of them is gone. Katie was in the dining room caring for the baby. Hearing this, she came quickly to the doorway and said, I never did such a thing. Yes, you did, Edward shouted. And then he left the house and promptly began nailing up the opening in the fence. Now, that was a hard blow on dear Katie. Although her parents had been drunkards, now they had not drunk anything for over two years. She was being looked upon as a clean girl. To have this said of her was just about all she could stand. Poor Katie cried and sobbed all night. When her mother told her father how Katie had been accused, he said, We know she didn't do it. Next day, Katie did not want to go to school, but her parents coaxed her into it. At recess, none of the children would play with her or allow her to play with them. Edward was the leader in the school as he would often buy things for the other children, so they all looked up to him. He had told them that Katie had stolen his ball and that Katie was a thief. He insisted that they must not play with her. Poor Katie was crying hard when she came home at noon. She told how the children had treated her and pleaded, Oh, Mama, don't make me go back to school. Her mother was hurting for her daughter, but said firmly, Katie, I think you ought to go to school. I don't want you to miss even a day. I will pray for God to send Brother Bevington out here, and he will help us get the matter straightened out. Well, back Katie went, and this time they treated her even worse. They all called her a thief, and then walked on the opposite side of the street from her as they came home that night. 
Even worse, they were saying her father was nothing but an old drunk and wasn't fit to live with decent folk. Couldn't stand that, and she hurried home crying as if her heart would break. Oh, Mama, please don't make me go to school tomorrow. I just can't endure it. Let me stay home. When father came in and heard what had happened, he said, Let her stay at home. We will pray for God to send Brother Bevington. And so they prayed. Mother prayed all night. Now, children, I want you to see how God will answer such a prayer. After this mother's all-night prayer, God began asking me to go out to Katie's. Such a trip seemed foolish to me since I was going for food for that poor family. But God wanted to use me to answer that mother's prayer. So he went to work on me that morning. All the time her mother was relating this to me, Katie sat in the corner crying. I finally went over and laid my hand on her head. She wiped her tears away and then cleaned her face with a damp cloth. And I assured her, Now, Katie, I know you did not take that ball. No, I never did. But we can't prove it. It will kill me unless we move away from here. And she began crying as if all hope was gone. Katie, you belong to Jesus, don't you? Yes. Oh, yes, said her mother. Katie is a real Christian girl. Everyone in school says she is, and she reads the Bible, and she prays every night and every morning. Yes, I'm sure Katie is a Christian, and she surely does love Jesus. Well, she's gotten over 25 scholars in the Sunday school. She is a faithful soldier for Jesus. I said, Katie, don't you remember the time that Jesus healed you downtown? Yes, I do. Well, don't you believe that he will still answer prayer today? Yes, I know he will. But how could he show Edward where the ball is? Well, let's get down on our knees and let Jesus talk and work for us. So we knelt. I called on Mother to pray. She prayed. Yes, dear Jesus, I know you can do things. I know you healed Katie and have done other things. I know you have and can do these things. She kept praying just that way for some time. Finally, I said, Stop, Sister Brown. You're not hitting the mark at all. Children, I want you to know and always remember that we must pray definitely. To know and say that Jesus has done such and such isn't enough. We have to go further than that. I want to take it one step further. Many times when I've prayed with Christians about some problem, healing, something lost, they'll say, I know you can do this, Jesus. I know you can do this, Jesus. And then they'll say, but we'll see how it works out. No, we won't see how it works out. We know how it works out. We know that Jesus hears our prayers. 
This is not guesswork. This is not maybe. Jesus answers prayer. Now, Brother Bevington calls on Katie, and she's still crying, and she had quite a time getting the first few words out. But she did better than Mother. Finally, she got to a place where she said, I believe you will show him where it is. Well, that was getting pretty close, but not close enough. You see, children, if I want to drive a nail into a board, I can't affect the driving of that nail unless I hit it right on the head. I might just graze it. That won't do. I can't hit close up to it, even all around it, and still the nail will not be driven in. If I don't hit that nail square on the head, I won't pound it into the board. So it is in our praying. We have to hit the matter square on the head by saying, I know thou art doing it right now. That's real faith. That will bring the answer. Now, aside, In my experience with prayer, the Lord wants me to pray very specifically. He wants me to pray the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith is, I know that you are doing this for me right now. And I stand by faith right now. My prayer is answered. You want a biblical base for that? Mark eleven twenty three and 24. Pray and believe and you will receive it. It will be done for you. We have to hit the matter square on the head by saying, I know thou art doing it right now. That is real faith and will bring the answer. Now, you may have to pray for some time. You may have to pray for many hours before your faith will rise up to a point where you can say, I know it's done. Now, the problem is we have to get small enough before God so that the Spirit of God can speak to us clearly. And finally, he will tell us it is done. And then we stand absolutely by faith. It is done. I trust God. There are some issues in my life for which I have taken a very firm stand. One of those is the full and complete baptism of Pentecost power for birthing revival in Washington, D.C. As I continued to stand and believe that it is done in the name of Jesus, very quietly in my spirit, I recognized the voice of God. He said to me, It will not be long. And so I've been praising him and worshiping him 
and standing by faith. It is done. Do I have the experience yet? No, but I soon will because his word said it will not be long. Back to Brother Bevington. Now I want to show you how Satan will work. It was about 3 p.m. when I went to praying. The same time they were having recess at school. As Edward was there at school, how could we expect him to be finding the ball when he was some five blocks away from where it was missing? So when I began praying, Satan said, It's foolish for you to say that God is showing Edward that ball now, for he's in school five blocks away. Here comes the test. I knew I would have to claim that Jesus was showing him right then where the ball was, so I kept praying up to that point. The Holy Spirit kept leading me on, and in two or three minutes I had reached the point where I knew I could say, Yes, dear Jesus, yes, Thou art showing him right now. Hold on, said Satan. Can't be going and doing that. So I shouted it out as loud as I could. He is doing it right now. I shouted it three times. And at the third time, the glory of God fell upon us. Katie jumped up, threw her arms around me, laughing and crying at the same time. Brother Bevington, I believe it. I do believe it, and I am so happy. I raised my head and looked into her face. All the tears and furrows were gone. She looked bright and beautiful as she smiled. I began to praise and thank Jesus while I was still on my knees. I heard a rattled bang outside. It was the newly nailed board being knocked right off that fence, and Edward came running in their door. His hands were all covered with blood, and his face was scratched. But he was carrying the missing ball. He knelt down in front of Katie, and tears began to slide down his cheeks. He said afterward that it was the first time he'd ever been on his knees. He just cried there like a good fellow. Then he asked Katie to forgive him, for he had found the missing ball. We had a great time rejoicing over it. Finally, I said, now, Edward, we want you to tell us how you found that ball and why you're not in school. Now, children, here is something I want you to remember. God knew that morning I would go out to Katie's house and I would be claiming Edwards finding the ball about 3 p.m. At this, this was the time Edward was usually in school. His finding the ball at such a time would certainly seem unlikely. So that morning, Jesus made Edward unusually studious. He studied hard, and all of his lessons seemed to come so easily that by recess in the afternoon, he had finished all of them. And he went to the teacher and said, I have all my lessons. Would you like to hear them? Well, yes, I would. So she heard them and said, Edward, since you have them all, you may go home now if you want. So he started running down the street, just so glad to get out of school. I wish I could draw you a diagram of where the schoolhouse was from his home. 
but I guess I'll have to try to explain it with words. The schoolhouse was on a street running east and west. His house was on a street running north and south. His was the third house south of that corner where the streets crossed, and the schoolhouse was five blocks west. Edward's father had six acres there, which also held a large orchard. His lot ran back to the street west of the one they lived on, and part of it extended out to the street the schoolhouse was on. This was the street Edward had been coming down from the school. When his father had been a <clears throat> pardon me at home more, they used a path running from their house across the back to the street west of theirs and up to the corner of the street the schoolhouse was on. So Edward would go through a gate at the corner, go across his his house to save going home, going down to the east street, and then turning south to his house. His father had gotten into politics, and he'd began neglecting this lot. The berries had grown up all over it, so it was covered the path that Edward had not gone through for some years. Now, I wonder how many from this explanation could draw a diagram of how to get from Edward's house to the schoolhouse by the streets. I told this once to a schoolhouse where I was holding a meeting, and a boy ten years old gave me a correct diagram on paper the next day. So if you can make a diagram out of it and send it to me, I'd be most thankful. Now I'll tell you how Edward found his croquette ball. He was running down this street east and west of his way from from his home, from school. When he got about halfway down from the corner of his father's lot west of him, a voice said to him, Go back and go through the orchard. He stopped and looked around, but there was no person in sight. What could that mean? He started on towards the corner, where he would turn south from his house, and the same voice said, Go back, go through the orchard. Edward stopped and looked around again. I don't understand what this means, he said, but I can't go through the orchard now. All those briars in there are covering the path. So he began moving again. Within seconds, he was stopped still and could not move a muscle. The same voice said, Will you or will you not go through the orchard? And then he could move again. He felt he'd better turn back. So he went up to the corner, got down, and looked at the path. And go through there? I don't know what this means. Am I going crazy? He headed back down the street for home again and was stopped still. He could not move so much as his foot until he tried to turn back, and when he found he could move in that direction, back he went. He got down on his hands and knees and began to crawl through the briars scolding himself almost all the way. When he was about two-thirds of the way through, his hand struck something that moved. He brushed the leaves away, and guess what? He found the ball. Now I want you to see how God answered our prayers and also the miracles he worked to do so. First think about what a time he had with me to get me to go out to Katie's in the first place. Then think about how God made Edward study and helped him in his lessons. For that was the first time he'd ever done his schoolwork that fast. 
then see what a time God had in getting Edward to crawl through those briars, scratching his hands and his face. God answered my prayer by making that boy do the ridiculous. So now remember this. God will answer prayer in spite of how the circumstances seem. Sometimes we have to shut our eyes to what we might see and just blindly trust him. Had I failed to mind him, that opportunity would have been lost and poor Katie would have been wrecked. I had to come to the place where I counted it done, even though Edward was in school. You see, God had it all planned out all the time. God often wants to work miracles, children, but we may have to do what seems ridiculous in order that he may. After this all took place, the mother asked me to stay until dinner. I was glad to do that, as it would give me a chance to visit with them all. I also wanted to find out how that ball got up there in that orchard. That interested me quite a bit. I felt the best way to get close to that answer was to go out with the children and play a game of croquette with them. I was praying that God would reveal just how that ball got out in the orchard. And he did. For as we were playing, a half-grown pup ran up and grabbed a ball. Then this pup turned and ran up the path right into the briars. I said, Edward, look at that. That's how the ball got up there. So you see, all things are possible to them who believe and obey God. If I had not had faith, I might have consulted my watch when we were praying and said, Edward is in school now, so we'll postpone this until later. God's plan would have been frustrated, and we never would have found out what really happened. I pray you can readily see how God will work through us if we are fully his and fully yielded up to him. Now, I wanted to share that story from the book Remarkable Miracles, to point out graphically for you that we are dealing with the living God of heaven when we pray. Prayer is not an exercise of yoga. Praying is not for our therapeutic improvement of attitude. Prayer is real. God is real. He answers our prayers. But we must pray a prayer of faith. A prayer of faith that says, Lord, I know that right now you hear me. And I know that right now you are answering my prayer. I know it is done. I trust you. I, I have no doubt in my heart. I know that you are a God who is faithful and true. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, sometimes this prayer of faith may take considerable time. Why? Not because God is hard of hearing, but because we're so far from God. There are issues in some of your lives that if you decided to pray about those issues, 
You're so far from God, it might take you a month of praying to get close enough to God, to put away sin from your heart. God wants your heart washed and clean by the blood. He does not want you to be walking in any known sin, for sin will block God answering your prayer. You must be clean before God. Who can go up the mountain? Clean hands and a pure heart. Prayer is not easy work. As I've often said, you stand on the promise of God until it comes and stands on your head. In other words, God will want to change some things in your heart, perhaps. Often I've found that there's repentance involved. There's a turning from everything of darkness. Do you hear me? Prayer is not a hit-and-miss matter. God always answers prayers. I've prayed for some things, and I've stood by faith. It's done now in the name of Jesus. The Lord has whispered to me, No. My answer is no. I missed God. The answer is no. And he's not going to change his mind. I have to be prepared to submit to him everything. All that I have, all that I am. I've made a decision that I belong to Jesus and I will not turn back. If I want a prayer answered, I'm going to have to take that prayer of faith, literally. And if God is displeased with it, he'll tell you. He won't ignore you. He'll answer. And the time involved is for you to get small enough so that God can answer your prayer without hurting you. God doesn't want to answer a prayer that's going to hurt you or destroy you. He won't do that. That prayer has to be in line with his will, with his kingdom. That prayer has to be something that he wants for us. And it's by faith. I don't have a lot of time left in the broadcast, so I'm probably going to come back to this at a later time. But Psalm 18 is one we need to read and read, and read, and pray over, and stand by faith. Psalm 18, literally, I believe, is for fulfillment in our day. We are at the end of time. Evil is rising up on every side. Uncleanness, vile, wicked uncleanness is geysering out of America. And his judgments are going to come upon this nation. There is not a great awakening 
where America turns back to the Lord. I know it is the Lord's will to save. It is not the Lord's will to destroy. So my petition before the Lord for revival is absolutely firm. I know he has heard me, and I know he will answer me, for he has promised he would answer me. And he said it it won't be long. Psalm 18. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from all of my enemies. Let's stop just a moment. Prayer of faith begins with the confession. I love you, O Lord. My heart belongs to you, O Lord. I love you. Jesus, I love you. I worship and praise and honor your name. Jesus, I love you. Now, if you want to be serious, this is not a quiet inner prayer. This is a a blind Bartimaeus prayer. Jesus, I love you. Come quickly, Jesus, and save me. And then there is this absolute affirmation. The Lord is my rock. My circumstances are not my rock. They can change. What will not change is my absolute commitment to Jesus. I've prayed for people and they've been healed. I prayed for my precious wife, Jan, in 2010. And she died. I won't tell you what the Lord said to me. It was not something that made me very happy. But he told me why he didn't answer the prayer. But it was devastating to me. When I say, I love you, O Lord, I am literally saying, whether you answer my prayer the way I desire or whether you do not answer my prayer, I will love you. And the real test of love is when things don't go right. The love in any relationship is most apparent when times are hard, not when we're in the ice cream shop. My fortress. No matter what the circumstances, I choose to be hidden in Jesus Christ. He is my deliverer. I trust him.
even though I perish, I trust him. My late wife said to me before she died, sweetheart, in the funeral, if the Lord does not heal me, will you say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, whether the prayer of faith is answered in the way I want or not, I will bless the Lord because I love him. And I don't worship him and love him to get my way. I want his way. Again, he says, my God is my rock. Lord is my rock. My God is my rock. Rocks don't move. They're stable. They're solid. You can trust and stand on it. In whom I take refuge. He is my shield. Arrows will come at me. He is my shield. The horn of my salvation. The strength. Horn represents strength. He is the strength of my salvation. I am assured of my place with the Lord. He is my stronghold, the place where I hide out. Hide out in Jesus. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. Well, we're out of time for today. Lord Jesus, I love you. You are my strength. You are the rock for my deliverer. I stand only upon you, Jesus. I am saved only by you, Jesus. Thank you. Bless those who have heard today. Give them the courage to pray the prayer of faith. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Would you invite others to tune in and listen? And would you go to the webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com? And you can go to the donate button. You can also listen to this message again. Or would you write to me, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. I also want to invite you, if these messages are gripping your heart, come and worship with the National Prayer Chapel. We are a servant people, becoming. It's a house church. We're not institutional. Children are welcome. Call me, 703 489 1785, and I'll give you directions for how to come to my home. 703 489 1785. My dear brother, my dear sister, it's been a pleasure, an honor, a joy to speak with you today. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Now 
Jesus Christ alone. 